0: all right hey everyone good to see you tonight welcome to church would you stand we're going to begin our night by singing by worshiping our our maker our savior because he's worthy of all of our praise About the greatness of our God, how great thou art, oh Lord my God. Let's sing, oh Lord my God. When I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hand has made, I see the stars, I hear the roar. Thy power throughout the universe display then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art How great Thou art And when I think And when I think That God is Son not sparing sent Him to die I scarce can take it in That on the cross My burden gladly bearing He bled and died To take away my sin Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou
1: art
0: How great Thou art Then sings my soul Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art when Christ shall come when Christ shall
1: come
0: with shouts of acclamation And take me home What joy shall fill my heart Then I shall bow In humble adoration And there proclaim My God how great Thou art Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art. Amen. I hear the Savior say. I hear the Savior say. had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And Lord, Lord, now indeed I find thy high power and thine alone. And change the leper spots And melt this heart of stone Cause Jesus paid it all And all to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow And when before, and when before the throne, I stand in Him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat that Jesus paid it all. And all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. My sin had left. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And we praise him for his mercy. Let's sing. Oh, praise the one you paid my debt and raise this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one you paid my debt and raise this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one you paid my debt and this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Cause Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He watched it white as snow. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that—the timeless truth of the gospel, and that we can, that we can never get stopped, never stop getting tired of singing. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Father, we thank you for that truth that you have paid our debt in full, and that our sin is wiped away at the cross. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love and for your grace. We love you. We praise you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat.
2: Okay, there we go. I'm in business now. Should have done that earlier. So, like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 15 uh, here in just just a little bit, but before we do that, we want to spend some time praying together and some time sharing together about about God's work in, in our lives. So, thankful for Jordan. I had a chance yesterday to spend some time with the man who was his pastor growing up, a guy named Steve Dighton, who preached at Emmaus a couple of times during the interim between Mike and myself. And so Steve is a well-respected pastor around the country and so it was good to spend time with Steve. Uh, We might or might not have been playing golf, riding around together while we spent that time together, but it was good. We got to ride around together and talk about ministry between golf shots, so it was successful. and Steve loves Jordan and is so thankful for him being here in Oklahoma City and spending Wednesdays with us and then he's at Frontline Church the rest of the time. So really thankful for that. Also, it's been a great day uh, for me. Today, Amanda and I have our 15th wedding anniversary. So we're excited about that. We, uh, yeah, thank you all. So I got my favorite meal for dinner. My wife didn't have to cook. That was great. Like, that's my favorite meal, and she didn't have to cook. And then we went today and took the kids to the new Scissortail Park uh, downtown and ate with the kids for lunch, so it was good. It was a good 15th uh, anniversary. But uh, yeah, thankful, so thankful for for Amanda and for the gift of marriage and the gift of family, and appreciate you all being so supportive of that and, and good, good examples. Gwen put uh, a little question on... Facebook this week about something like, what's the best marriage advice you've ever gotten? That was on our Emmaus Facebook page this, this week, so it was fun to see responses that came back from that and all the godly wisdom that's tied up in, in marriage and what it looks like to live that out on a, on a daily basis, so thankful for that. Uh, prayer requests, things, that, uh, things you'd want to share, things going on maybe in your family or your Sunday school area. Yes. Oh wow! Yeah. So, uh, where where Miriam is in Russia? It sounds like they had an outbreak of TB, and so they're all kind of quarantined in a particular area. So. Was it, was it around her apartment area, Tim? Yeah, kind of around that area, so. Pray for her. Speaking of uh, people uh, heading out on mission trips, we have our team that left this morning to head toward the Middle East, and Jim is going to be meeting them, and then they're going to be traveling on to uh, to spend several days there doing, uh, essentially, vacation Bible school for missionary kids. What it's what it comes down to. They bring... Uh, i m b brings in missionary families for times of training and then they need someone there to care for the kids and so teams from the u s go and provide that provide that care for the kids uh so it's a it's a neat ministry opportunity uh, what else anything else So Jasmine's still having, this is, oh, Twilight. Oh, that's right, she was, yeah, okay, I do remember that. Yeah, I forgot about that. You know, as we, uh, um, as we continue to think about what it looks like to, to share the gospel through mission trips, we're gonna watch a video about that here in just a minute. It kinda reflects the area where our mission team has gone. Uh, but also what does it look like to share the gospel right here around us and we're going to get to that at the at the end of our our bible study time tonight but uh, our staff has been reading a book about evangelism and specifically about how do you share the gospel in a rapidly changing world where things around us culturally are changing so fast what does that look like to to share the gospel and just how are we intentional about that and so Carl, he had an opportunity to share the gospel, and he emailed our staff about that. So I'm going to have Carl come up here, and just so you can hear him well, you can probably hear him without this, but uh, I'm going to give him the mic. I want him to share his story with you as an encouragement, and then I want to share a story with you related to evangelism, and just as a reminder of, of how the Lord's at work and what it looks like to, to share the gospel. So Carl,
1: share your story with us. Good evening to you. I would start out by saying, um, we normally have staff meeting Tuesdays, starting at two o'clock. We canceled yesterday. And so I stayed on the job that I was working on. And uh, as I was working, a uh, tile layer comes walking in, and I've worked around this guy for 15 years and have had many conversations with him about the Lord. And he, uh, he doesn't normally work for this particular builder, that I was at yesterday, and when he came in, um, we began to small talk, and he's kind of one of those big belligerent guys that's always joking and jacking around with everybody, hollering, scaring you, doing all this stuff, right? So when he comes, you you tense up maybe just a little bit, because you know he's going to get you at some point, right? And he's too big to mess with, so you just have to take it. Well... Uh, as we're working in the, in the same room, and uh, he's got a guy that's sitting there helping him, he asked me, he said, hey, did you, uh, did you know my father-in-law? And uh, I said, no. I said, well, I know who he was, but I didn't, didn't really know him. And he said, well, you knew he passed away last week, right? And I said, no, no, I didn't. I said, I'm sorry about that. But we continued to speak, and uh, he started telling me about the funeral and about riding back um, with the guy that preached the funeral and um he carries on and tells me starts telling me about um all the good things that he's done and uh the reason that he's done them and the reason that he does x y and z was so that hopefully whenever his time came there would be enough good done that he would get to enter into heaven and he says well at least i hope that's the way it works and I said, well, I hope it's not the way it works. And he turned around and he looked at me, just as serious as he could be, just kind of shocked that I would say that. And uh, I said, as a matter of fact, I know it doesn't work that way. And uh, I began to share the gospel with him and begin to just share scripture with him, period, about believing in Christ. I already knew that he believed in Christ. matter of fact, we've had conversations before where he's told me that he's saved. Um, When he said what he said yesterday, uh, I realized uh, we were dealing with a different animal here. So I explained to him what it means to be saved. It's not just to have a head knowledge and to believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died on the cross for your sins. But literally, you have to receive him. I shared John 1.12 with him so that he came to his own, but his own rejected him. But to those who did receive him he gave them the right to be children of god and as i was sharing with him he was messing up he was messing up his job like he was screwing stuff up bad and i and i felt a little bit bad and i said okay look i'm gonna let you finish what you're doing and i'm gonna pick on your helper for a minute but me and you are going to talk when you get done and he says okay okay well either way i i kind of watched and waited Found him by himself out there in the truck, walked outside, and I said, look, Wes, do you believe everything that I've shared with you so far? He said, absolutely, I believe it all. And I said, "Uh, you've never prayed to receive Christ, correct? He said, I've had opportunities before a lot, but no, I've never done that. I said, would you like to pray to receive him as your Savior today and to know that your eternity is locked in to know you don't have to do good to get into heaven. You can't. You can't do enough good to get into heaven. Either way, he said, you know, yeah, I would like to do that. So I grabbed him by the hand and I said, do you want to pray or do you want me to lead you in this prayer? All you have to do is be sincere. The words are not that important. You just have to be sincere. He says, go ahead, I'll follow your lead. So I led him in a prayer, and when I said amen, he opened his eyes, and he looks me in the eye, and he says, that feels good. I said, that is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Nobody told me that. I figured it out later. But either way, uh, my phone was going off. People were looking for us, evidently, all over the job because when we come walking back around the corner, They were all like where have you been well we weren't hiding we're standing in the middle of the yard but they were all flipping out because they couldn't find us i don't know i don't know what to think about that but either way um that man prayed to receive christ on that job site and it's just a simple sharing scripture with people we don't save anybody we share the scripture with them and jesus does the work yeah that's good
2: Yeah, that's good to celebrate nothing wrong with celebrating that like that's a good thing yeah um so just i want you to be encouraged by that just remember what does it look like to be intentional in those moments to ask follow-up questions uh, i think important to know that that story that carl shared at the beginning he mentioned how he'd known this guy for 15 years it wasn't the first time that they had spoken about the lord you know rarely the first time you speak to someone are they are they going to respond in, in that type of positive way? But you continue to ask those questions. Uh, so one, one little add-on there. I'd like you to know, providentially, part of the reason he had the chance to have that conversation is because I was playing golf. So uh, the Lord used that round of golf so that man would have a chance to know about Jesus. Uh, but that's not the main thing that you need to know about that. Mainly, you need to see the power of God's Spirit at work. I also want you to know, um, so last week, we have a neighbor, Amanda and I have a, a neighbor, a single uh, gentleman that lives across the road from us. We've kind of gotten to know him. He's not very talkative, very, very shy, just kind of goes into his house, but had a few conversations with him and have been praying for him. He's on my prayer list of people to share the gospel with, and I'm praying for their salvation. And so his name is on there. And last month, he told me, he's like, hey, I'm going to be moving in about a month. And so part of my, you know, I just kind of like, okay, Owen, like, this is a reminder why you don't put this off uh, for moments moments like this and so I said hey you know we we've been meaning to get together for lunch let's get together for lunch and so picked a location met there we were able to sit there and talk uh, some about his life again had the chance to share the gospel with him he at that moment did not pray to receive Christ but what I got afterward was a text message that said Thanks for sharing that. I'd like to talk more about that. I'm open to to what was, to what was shared. Um, and so part of my takeaway from that, and, and hear me right on this, because this could come out sounding wrong, but hear, hear what I mean by this. Part of what I was struck by in that is, in some sense, that was not particularly hard in the sense of all I had to do was schedule the meeting with the guy, have him come. We had a relationship in place. Then it was just having a conversation about, hey, what's most important in your life, and beginning to share that. Now, there is the fear, the challenge, the difficulty that comes with that, but I, I found myself personally convicted because, man, that should be a regular part of my life. That, that should be something that I'm regularly doing, um, and seeing the Lord do that work in my own life and, and do, the Lord do that work in our staff, uh, just being, being ready to share the gospel when those opportunities are come come. But not only when the opportunities come to us, but us going after opportunities, reaching out to people. Sometimes I'm guilty of saying, I'll share about Jesus when the perfect opportunity arrives. Well, guess what? That perfect opportunity doesn't always arrive the way that we, we imagine it. Sometimes it does, but, but more often it's, it's reaching out to somebody. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage us as Emmaus. Let's make that part of our lives. Let's be sharing those type of stories the more you can share i don't have carl come up and share that story to show off he doesn't want to do that i want you to hear those stories to keep that in front of you god let that be true of our lives let that be true of how we live um how we live as a church so all right let's watch a quick video uh about the area of the world where our mission team is located we're going to pray and then we're going to study scripture together I wanted you to see that, just to have some pictures in your mind of, of where we've, we're sending teams. And also, for Jim, uh, even in the days leading up to Jim taking this group to, to the Middle East, we had this last summer uh, a medical missions conference up in Quail Springs. I think, anybody go to that, the Med Advance Conference? Yeah, so they had the Med Advance Conference. Jim got connected with a couple of guys medical missionaries at that conference who watch the quotes just so happen to be exactly in the area where our team is going in the Middle East and so part of what Jim's gonna be able to do when he gets to the Middle East is meet up with these guys and talk about other opportunities we have and then in March we're taking a vision trip to North Africa about the possibility of connecting with some groups there and so seeing all of these things come together Uh, And then the the ministry that Fashid does at OU uh, with Middle Eastern and North African students. All the things that God is doing in in those areas to draw people to himself. And so we want to pray for salvations there. And we want to pray for God's work right here. So let's pray together and then we're going to study these passages. Father, we praise you for the salvation of, of Wes, this gentleman that Carl was able to, to share with, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to be at work in his life, God, that he would have a hunger for your word, that he would get connected to a local church where he can be continue to grow in faith and know more about what this salvation looks like. God, I pray for my neighbor. God, I pray that you would give me more and more interactions with him in the days to come. and God, that you would draw him to a place of a a place of trusting in Christ for salvation. God, I pray for every one of us, God, that our church, that we would be characterized by a desire to share the gospel with the world around us. God, I pray that that would be true in our everyday lives. That would be true in the mission teams that we send out. That would be true in where we live and work. God, I pray that all of those areas of life that we would see people, God, we would see people who are in need and we would know how to respond, not, not to count numbers or not to just try to get converts. God, God, we believe your spirit is at work in powerful ways. And you work through us in those times to be able to share the good news of Jesus. And so help us to do that. And God, I pray that these stories tonight from Matthew, that you would use these stories to remind us how the power of Christ works and even what it means for you to work in our lives. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, where we find ourselves tonight is Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. So Jesus has just finished this interaction with the Pharisees and scribes where They're frustrated because the disciples are not following the traditions about washing hands, and there's all these Jewish purity laws. The Pharisees are frustrated by that. Jesus responds back with, hey, you guys are focused on the wrong things. So following that story, watch what happens in verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon okay so at this moment he's having this interaction with the with the Pharisees and the scribes these interactions are going to come back again toward the end of the gospel but at this time he withdraws, not because he's scared not because he's running away from an argument very simply just it's not the right time yet is is what it boils down to so often in the gospels when you see Tyre and Sidon mentioned I'm gonna turn around and face this way because I didn't put a map up on the board but so it kinda hears Jerusalem, Israel area, Tyre and Sidon are northwest so think kind of northwest back a little bit toward the Mediterranean Sea up into the northwest of where Jesus' ministry has been happening. When you read throughout the Old Testament, Tyre and Sidon are often portrayed as classic enemies of God's people. So these are enemies of the Israelites. Very simply, Jesus has gone into enemy territory this is what it feels like for you when you drive south over the Red River same idea Jesus has gone into enemy territory he's gone to a place of of all throughout the Old Testament these people were considered enemies of God's people so he withdraws there presumably not to do ministry it seems like he's just trying to get away for a bit but it's obvious that God's hand is at work and there's gonna be a meaning behind what's happening here verse 22 behold A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now this reference to him going to Tyre and Sidon and encountering this Canaanite woman, this is important because in the Old Testament the Canaanites were also major enemies of God's people. The interaction that they had with the Canaanite people. What you find being set up here is the Gospel of Matthew. There's so much focus on Jesus' interaction with and ministry to the Jewish people. That this is the people he's come to. He's come to the people of Israel. He's come to the Jewish people. And you find that. I've listed just a couple of ways that this happens. Kind of on your notes there, the emphasis on his Jewish mission. You see it in the genealogy that connects him back to Abraham and to David and this Jewish lineage that that comes all the way up through Joseph. You see this in Jesus' ministry. A lot of Jesus' ministry, remember, is reliving the Israel story. (laughs) You find something happening about Israel in the Old Testament, and then you find Jesus doing something similar. So Israel goes into the wilderness, Jesus goes into the wilderness. Israel passed through the waters, Jesus passes through the waters. You find all these correlations between Old Testament Israel and Jesus. And so the two stories are tied together. Constantly, Matthew was talking about the fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. Jesus calls 12 Jewish disciples. He didn't just get to 12 and say, hey, that's a good stopping point. Obviously, he draws 12 in keeping with the 12 tribes of Israel. There's, there's again, these connections that are being made. Most of his work early in the Gospel of Matthew happens among Jewish people and in Jewish regions. However, there are all kinds of little hints that Matthew throws into the story to let us know that Jesus' ministry is not just to the Jewish people. That what he has come to do has broader ramifications. And So I just want to point out a couple here. In the genealogy, it is a predominantly Jewish genealogy, as we'd expect no huge surprise there but he does throw in some non-israelites and often they're women which seems very purposeful in the way the gospel is being set up tamar uh, take a stab on tamar's ethnicity canaanite now is that a surprise ah it's uh, there's some interplay going here between tamar being a part of this genealogy and then what you find happening Rahab is mentioned. Rahab in many ways is considered a Canaanite woman, very closely related to the Canaanite people as the 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 spies go into the land and encounter Rahab there in Joshua chapter 2. Again, you've got this Canaanite woman mentioned in Matthew 15. Ruth, now Ruth is not a Canaanite, she's a Moabite, but she is coming from an enemy people to the Israelites and she's being brought into the genealogy. The wise men the wise men are brought in not from a Jewish background, but from a Gentile background. Isaiah has a prophecy that that Matthew uses in Matthew chapter four, verse fifteen, when he talks about Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, we see Jesus doing miracles in areas outside of Israel, the Decapolis, this area of ten cities that was outside the Jewish region. We see Jesus going there and and doing ministry and, and miracles among those people. However, the Prominent story is in Matthew chapter 8. And so here's what I need you to do just for a minute. Turn back to Matthew chapter 8 because we need to see the parallel that's going to be set up between Matthew 8 and Matthew 15. So, Matthew chapter 8, watch the parallels. Between the story of the Roman centurion and then the story of this Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. So, this is Matthew 8, starting in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, so it's going to be a Gentile, a, a non Israelite, came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, outside the land and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom those who look like they're on the inside will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and to the centurion Jesus said go let it be done for you as you've believed and the servant was healed at that very moment okay now you go back to chapter 15 so there in Matthew 8 You find Jesus healing the servant or the son of the centurion. Then what happens in Matthew 15? This woman comes up in verse 22 and says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 23, But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out for us. So you see the parallels between those two stories, that you have a non-Israelite who is in a position either as the commander or as the mother in this situation, a child who is sick or who is demon-possessed comes to Jesus, and from a distance, Jesus heals that child and acknowledges the faith of the person who comes to him. So there's all these connections. However, this story is particularly hard, because there's some language in here that like, ooh wow, what's going on that Jesus would, would approach this woman in, in this way? So you go back to verse 22, and it says, this Canaanite woman, let's talk about some of this hard language in these verses. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying out, was, was seeking after him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." It's very telling that she calls out to him and says, Lord, son of David. Why would she use that son of David language? Remember, she is is not a Jewish woman, so she's not been raised in the same way. Why would she use the son of David language? Most likely is because she's heard about Jesus, and she's heard stories of people being healed, and so she's calling out with this type of language your connection here is definitely the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter two. Because when you read that story of Rahab, when she interacts with the spies who come in there to to the promised land, she has the interaction. One of the things it talks about is how she had heard about the greatness of the Israelite God. She knew that this God was great and powerful. She'd heard about him, and so she called out in faith based on what she knew. She didn't know everything, but she knew that this God was great. It seems like this woman here is doing something very similar. She doesn't know all about this God. She doesn't know, well, and she's not going to think of Jesus as God in this sense, but she doesn't know all about this man, but she's heard that he's really powerful, and so she calls out to him the only way she knows how, son of David. Then, you get to verse 23. He did not answer her a word. Why? Well, we don't know, to be honest. We don't know, but... It's obvious that Jesus wants this story to play out a little further because there's some interaction that needs to happen for for points that he's going to make here. His disciples came in the middle of 23 and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. There's this funny pattern you pick up with the disciples, that they always are pushing problems away from themselves. So, uh, the people are hungry. What do the disciples say? Send them away to go get bread somewhere else. Uh, This woman is, frankly, without this kind of language being used here, they're annoyed by her. Because remember, they've withdrawn to this area, presumably to rest, to get away from the ministry. And now the ministry has come to them. This is like when you say, oh man, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to get away And you go and you try to get away, and whatever you're trying to get away from still comes and follows you to wherever you're going. This is the type of thing that's happened, and they're annoyed. They want her to go away. What does Jesus do? He answers. It seems like he answers directly to the disciples. We don't know if the woman overhears this. Likely she does, but he's answering to the disciples. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, you do find that type of language being used in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sends out the disciples, he sends out the, the group to, to go and to heal and to teach. He tells them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's the kind of ministry that he gives them. What does it mean, I was sent only? This seems to be a reference to the focus of Jesus' ministry. One thing you do pick up about Jesus' ministry is he is very clear why the father has sent him what this ministry is and ultimately is going to take him to the cross and he knows that in that process he has come to fulfill the promises that god has always made to the people of israel so i think what jesus is doing in this language is he just saying remember we have a very particular ministry here we have a very that may be the right word we have a very particular mission <laughs> that we've been sent on. The Father has sent us on this mission. We have to continue to to fulfill it. Verse 25, she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, harsh language, right? Difficult language. It, It looks very much like he is calling this woman a dog in this situation. He's using this type of reference. Look back to Matthew chapter 7 just for a second. There's a little interesting feature of the Sermon on the Mount that comes into play here. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So you have that reference, that, that wisdom saying that is given in the Sermon on the Mount about holy things not being given to dogs or, or to pigs, which are references primarily, when you look through the, the, the different texts, to Gentiles, that, that these things would not be, you wouldn't take holy things and throw them before unholy people. Here's where it gets really interesting. What has Jesus just come out of previously? He's come out of a conversation with the Pharisees about what holiness really means. And now he's encountering this Canaanite Gentile woman, and he's going to have a similar conversation with her about what holiness is really all about. What does it mean to be related to God? What does it mean to have faith in God? And what he's doing here is he's throwing a parable out to her. He's going to throw a little parable, a little, a little idea out to her. What do we know about the disciples and most of the people in Matthew? They struggle with parables. Like, they just don't get them. Jesus commends them when they understand. He says, this understanding of parables is given to you by God. And so he's throwing out this idea to her here. And what does she do in verse 27? She hears this language. It's not right to take the children's bread, something given by God and throw it before dogs or or people who are unholy, Gentiles. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What does Jesus recognize in this moment? He recognizes something he already knew, but what he recognizes is that she gets it. She understands what I've come to do. She understands what it means to receive these things from God. And so he turns around in verse 28 he answers her, "O woman, great is your faith." What does Jesus consistently say about the disciples' faith? <laughs> he says it's little bitty. like it's barely it's barely, "Oh you have little faith," "Oh you have little faith," "Oh you have little faith." The two figures in Matthew who are commended for their faith, the Roman centurion and the Canaanite woman. He says, "Woman, great is your faith; be it done for you as you desire." and her daughter was healed instantly. Then look what happens in verse 29. Jesus went on from there and he walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. Now we're on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, not where the original Sermon on the Mount happened. We're on a different, the Sermon on the Mount was on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Here he's on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, so probably still in a Gentile area, but he goes up and he sits down. It feels like Sermon on the Mount language. Uh, you can almost find the exact same language in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1-2. through two. That was a Jewish setting. Now he's in a Gentile setting, and he's using almost the same exact type of, of, of language, Matthew is. Verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified who? The God of Israel. So you have a Gentile audience seeing the power of God at work through Jesus. And they give glory to the God of Israel. They're being brought in into this ministry, this mission that Jesus is on. That takes us to verse 32 where things get really interesting then Jesus called his disciples to him and said I have compassion on the crowd remember we're, we're almost certainly in a gentile situation here I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way now if you're thinking to yourself hey I've heard this before somewhere it's because you have heard it before just like two chapters earlier when Jesus actually one chapter earlier when Jesus is going to feed the 5,000 it's a very similar situation. Matthew loves double stories. In the Gospel of Matthew multiple times you'll find him telling a story and then telling an almost similar story. We just saw it with the Roman centurion, Matthew 8, Canaanite woman, Matthew 15. You can find numerous examples of that thing happening in the Gospel of Matthew. What's going on there? Some people will say, well, it's just one event, and Matthew's telling it is two. No, I don't think so. There's, it, that doesn't hold up in a lot of ways, but, but it seems like Matthew remembers writing to a very Jewish audience, uh, uh, um, kind of the accountant lawyer type, I mean, the accountant tax collector type himself. What he seems to be doing is in Old Testament poetry, you had parallelism where a line would be given and then a second line is written and it sounds almost like the first so it's complementary they they go together two different lines of poetry that fit together Matthew seems to do that with his stories he'll tell a story and then he'll tell another story almost just like the first but it either adds something to the first or it expands the first in in some particular way or it gives a different angle on the first and so I think that that's what's happening here because I want to show you why that I think that's the case Verse 33, the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Okay, maybe a little frustration at this point. Let's use this part. Like, we just fed 5,000 people. Now there's 4,000. Like, we can do this. You know, don't, don't forget. Why did the disciples struggle again with this? Again, we, we don't know. But here's one possibility. Maybe... Maybe, because they've just heard Jesus say, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And they're dealing here with a Gentile crowd. Maybe the disciples think, well, Jesus fed that Jewish crowd of 5,000, but surely he's not going to do it to this Gentile crowd of 4,000. They may be struggling with this idea of what exactly is this mission we've been sent on? Is Jesus going to do this again? Verse 34, Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Just as Jesus provided for that Jewish audience earlier, he provides with almost the exact same language here for this gentile audience that remember that uh Matthew 8:11 how people from the east and the west are going to be gathered to this banquet this is an example of that happening in the gospel of Matthew you have people from the east and the west you have this gentile crowd brought before this banquet that God himself is going to provide for them verse 37 they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over Funny enough, that's a different word for basket. Back in the feeding of the 5,000, the word for basket referred to a very specific Jewish style basket. This was more of a general type of a basket that would have not just been a Jewish basket be used by anybody. So it's another indication that we're not dealing with a Jewish audience here, we're dealing with a Gentile audience here. Funny enough, that basket as well is the same word that's used in that story where Paul was lowered over the, uh, the wall to try to escape the, the city. So presumably it's a pretty big, a pretty big basket that, that was being used to, uh, to collect the food here. So verse 38, those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Uh, no, try again. McGadden, I think, is the way that would work. McGodden. Um Quick question. What do you do with seven baskets for 4,000 people versus 12 baskets for 5,000 people? Why the different numbers there? What's, what's going on there? Okay, a couple of theories. Uh, one theory is you just have a smaller audience in the second situation because it's a Gentile audience and perhaps, again, we're in the perhaps category here, okay? Perhaps Jesus is showing this to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. I was sent to the Jews so there's in a, in a sense, a larger blessing that's being given there to that Jewish crowd to be fed, and in some sense, a very, very slightly different but slightly smaller blessing being given to the Gentile crowd. Perhaps it's kind of a comparison thing. There's also a possibility that something is happening with the numbers. Now, you're going to get two sides to this argument, but there's just enough to it that I kind of really like it. So here we go, all right? And I think I even put it on there. But, okay, Jewish audience, you had how many uh, loaves of bread? I think there were five, right? Five loaves of bread, two fish. Possibly that five and that story refers to the five books of the law, this very tight five books. Also, how many people were fed? 5,000. So you have an emphasis in that story on the number five and how many baskets were picked up. There were 12 baskets picked up, 12 tribes of Israel. So you're kind of living in these Jewish numbers. This second story with the Gentile audience, you have seven is a, is a, pri- a, a primary number that's used here, Seven in the ancient world, and still even today a little bit, but especially in the ancient world, seven was a very universal number of completion. Um, And so you have not just a Jewish audience, but kind of a universal audience. And then 4,000, we're stretching at this point, but stay with me. Uh, 4,000 people who are, not people, 4,000 men who are fed. Four, when it's used in scripture, usually refers to the four corners of the earth. So a very broad group of people that are brought together. Now, here's the question we have to ask. Is that what Matthew meant to convey when he told these stories and when Jesus fed these people? We don't know, but it sure works well. (laughs) and It helps us to understand the difference between the stories. Here's what we do know. Here's 100% what we know about the way this is presented. You have Jesus feeding a Jewish crowd in one story, and feeding a Gentile crowd in another story, and it's a picture of how he is going to bring us all together as the people of God. There, there is that that's, that's happening here. So what do we take away from these, these stories? What, what's going on here? Three conclusions to draw. Number one, remember that the Israelites, the people of Israel, were blessed in order to be a blessing. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I bless you so that other people will be blessed. Isaiah 49, 6, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Paul picks up on the same type of argument in Romans chapter 11, that God has blessed the Israelites, but that blessing has always been meant to go to all people. And so we are blessed in order to be a blessing. That's a kind of a principle that you find throughout Scripture. Number two, reminded that God's mission is always headed to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is where the book of Matthew is headed. Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Gospel of Matthew is a very Jewish book. It's a very Jewish gospel because we have a very Jewish Savior. But the book as well Constantly propels the mission of our Savior toward all people, which is a beautiful thing, that God works in this way, which means we use language here at Emmaus, God, do this work in our neighborhoods and in the nations. Do this type of work in the neighborhoods and in the nations. So I've got a couple of questions down there at the bottom of, of the page for us to wrap up. Who can I share with who is not like me. Now, there's a broad category for you. (laughs) Not like me. Uh, That's going to open you up to a lot of opportunities. Um, Second question. How has God brought the nations to my neighborhood? If we're reaching neighborhoods and nations, oftentimes God brings the nations right to our neighborhood. Uh, Amanda and I have been having some conversations about this the last couple of weeks just through some different interactions and opportunities that have opened up God what are you doing right in front of me that we need to pay attention to number three how can I remember or continue to remember that my ethnicity or nation whatever that might be is not the center of the universe that God is at work among all peoples I probably have shared this before you, with you before but when I get up on Sunday morning to come to the church building to, to get here early and to pray and get things ready One of the things that has helped me most in ministry is, is, it's just a a picture in my mind, but it's almost every Sunday that that I do this. When I'm getting ready to come early on Sunday morning, I imagine another pastor in another part of the world hopping on his bike and probably biking 20 or 30 miles, if he's lucky enough to have a bike, or heading out early, early in the morning to walk to whatever his congregation is, wherever it might be gathered in a difficult place, maybe going to meet in a hidden location. And so what it does for my heart is remind me, what we're doing here matters. It is really, really important, but this is not the only place God is working. God is working around the world in ways that we cannot even imagine what that looks like. And so it just reminds us of how big God's work is. And then number four, how can we continue to proclaim and display Jesus in all nations? I tell you, when I think about Emmaus, when I think about what God has done and placing us right here, Part of the vision for First Baptist Moore in the mid-80s to plant a church in this area is that neighborhoods might one day grow up in this area. Well, guess what? That's exactly what has happened. That, That has come true. And so we need to make sure we do a good job reaching whoever God has placed in these neighborhoods around us. But Emmaus also has an incredible heritage of reaching the nations. And so what does it look like that God would take our church into different areas, to different peoples, to the nations? God, let us be faithful in sharing the gospel right here where we are, and let us be faithful in going wherever you take us. Part of the foundation of that is found in stories like Matthew chapter 15. So, let's pray together that that would be true in our lives and our church. God, thank you for the gift of your word. God, one of the reasons I'm continually drawn back to scripture and just see See, the Bible as your word, is the way the pieces fit together. God, the unity of Scripture, that these are not random stories, but that they are brought together to, to show us who you are and how you work. And so, God, thank you for your word being put together that way. Thank you for what it means that we can study it and ask questions and understand impact on our life. And yet, every time we read it, we see new things, we ask new questions, we explore new things, God. Thank you for the gift of scripture let us never take that lightly what it means to read and to study and to gather um, in the name of jesus for that god i pray this week that we would be intentional about opportunities to share the gospel with people around us god that you would give us those opportunities and that we would be faithful and intentional about going out and sharing with people because we trust that you're at work. And God, we thank you for the opportunities that you have given Emmaus and you're continuing to open up around the world. Let us be faithful in those things. And God, we pray that you would do all of these things in such a way that only you get the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Guys, I think we have a short deacons meeting as well afterward if you want to stay around for a few minutes. Short, short.